The Jewish Trauma Network provides education, guidance, and inspiration to individuals and families suffering from trauma to help them create a better life of connection and self-actualization. I'm your host, Dr. Yosef Tropper, and my greatest wish is to bring calmness, hope, and success to your life. All right. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Yaakov Bar. We're going to be talking about understanding and supporting our team. I'm going to read Yaakov's bio, and I'm really excited to have him here. And this is not meant as offense to anybody else that I've interviewed, but Yaakov and I know each other for over 20 years. And when I told my kids that I was interviewing a friend who I've been friends with for 20 years, the response was an eye roll and, Daddy, you're old. I'm proud to have a friend for 20 years, and I hope my children have that as well. Yaakov Bar, MS, PG, DIP, BACP, AREBT, and if you're from England, you probably know what that means, <laughs> is a psychotherapist specializing in cognitive behavioral therapy and a clinical supervisor working in private practice in London. He lectures in mental health awareness and is the founder of JTeen, which we're going to talk about, an emotional health text helpline for teens in the UK and Europe. He can be reached at jbar.co.uk. We'll put all, all the contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for his upcoming book, Mastering Your Mind, 10 Life Hacks for Teen Happiness and Success from Israel Bookshop, hopefully coming out in April 2024. Welcome, Yaakov. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you, Yosef. It's amazing to be here. And yes, it's true. Um, when you actually say that we've been friends for 20 years, I don't feel that I'm that old. And looking at you You don't here, look it either. You look great. <laughs> but it's funny, actually, because um, when I'm working with so many teens, I often like, and they're talking about how things are going in yeshiva or school. In my mind, I still think I'm just fresh out of yeshiva and school. And sometimes I need to remind myself I've actually been out for a long time. <laughs> but it, it helps you relate to them also, though. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and with my kids, I'm still, I'm probably worse than the teenagers. Yeah, I can, it does help. Yes, for sure. So just in the, just to kick off the friendship part, remember, this is a family friendly program. So I'm going to censor some of my responses also, but what's, what's your best memory of our time in Yeshiva? Family friendly. The, the I, I th Honestly, I just went back to the Yeshiva a few weeks ago and I haven't been there for a long time. And we spoke about that. I went back and we saw some old, I saw some old friends and old rebbers of mine. And you, the fact that I had such a sort of a longing to go back there, I think the the, the greatest present Yeshiv gave me and, and the memory was feeling that this was my family and feeling so connected. And people couldn't believe that. I just picked up and just went for a few days just to see people that I haven't seen for a long time. And I think that that's what, in a way, gave me the most, the connection. And we're talking now as if we've been chatting for the last 20 years and we haven't seen each other for a long time. But yeah. that's the beauty of friendships. You can pick up almost where you left off 20 years ago. Amazing, amazing, beautiful. I want to share that I still have m many memories, us learning on Matzei Shabbos in the base Madrash and both of us singing a tune. You have a beautiful singing voice. I have an okay singing voice, depending on who you ask. And I just remember singing with you. And that was something we were probably 18, 19, 20. But like that enjoyment of just being carefree and being able to learn. Like yes. whenever you felt carefree like that in the last 20 plus years. Yes. Yeah, and, when, and when I hear that song, it's the power of music. Music yes. transports you. It's unbelievable. But it's also sad times. I've been, I was in Yeshiva before Tosem I wasn't doing so well. And there was an Avron Fried CD that came out at the time. And whenever I hear that CD, 
it always brings me back to that sad place. So that's the power of music. Yeah, the associations that come up. Amazing. So our, our yeshiva, in case anybody's wondering, was called Torah Simcha. And our Rosh Shiva that we all adored was our Rosh Rizalek Rubenstein Zatzal, who passed away very young, about 10 years ago. And But he created a yeshiva with the Rabbeim who are still carrying on his legacy and their own development of Talmudim. Really just a phenomenal staff. And the fact that Yaakov and I all feel so connected to that yeshiva is amazing. And it's really something that I think about in, in my work with teens that we had that beautiful blessing where we loved where we were and we felt appreciated by our Abayim. And, and that's something that has deeply impacted our lives. As, as you you and I both see, like how many people in Torah Simcha are involved with Rabbanus, are involved with mental health counseling? It's disproportionate. You know, we're yeah. all, we're, so many of us are in the helping field and we all go back to that same place of love. And I just wonder in your work with students, like how important is that? Like how much does that make a difference? The, the fact that we felt loved and that we belong to a place. Really, if you look at the way we felt about our yeshiva so many years later, that recipe that they gave us is really a blueprint of how parents can learn about to connect to their kids so that they always have that relationship with their kids. Exactly what you were saying, and teachers can do the same with their students. It was a relationship that we had, which was it, it was Torah was enjoyable. Yeshiva was uh, was a fun place to be. There was a lot of positivity. There was we, we had an enjoyable time. We felt that they really cared for us. Was it earth shattering in terms of the sense of the quality of the learning and not maybe not, but yeah, I think it was the connection that, and that really we're talking we're here talking about teens and um, what we can the impact we can have on our teenagers our students. I think that's a great lesson. We, I know, I went to other yeshivas and I know other people have um, spoken to me and we get letters for, for asking for donations to other yeshivas where we didn't feel, we might have learned a bit better, but we didn't feel that connection. And people, we don't feel that same sense of love that we feel for this yeshiva Torah Ultimately, if we want to really bring out the best of our young people, it's that love, positivity, connection that we've seen through ourselves. Amazing. Beautiful. Said One thing I want to zoom uh, zoom out and maybe go back to our yeshiva days. So I personally think that when somebody is a Talmud Chacham and then they go into the working field, I think that's a skill set they bring. Integrity, understanding of people, emotional depth, I think that's a beautiful asset. I know when you work with teens, sometimes it's an asset to say, hey, I'm also a rabbi or I have that education and sometimes it could be, it could backfire because oh, I'm with a judgmental rabbi, right? And some of that trauma comes out. So I want to go back to when you made that decision of leaving the yeshiva world in a, in a physical sense and going into the field of mental health counseling, like what was guiding that decision? What was drawing you towards that field? I think it was just more that I felt that this was a field that I felt that I could really make a difference. And partly because at, during the time that I was in Yeshiva and then afterwards, after I got married in Kodal, there was a couple of places that we were, that I was working with, with teens and learning with them. And there was one place that I was in, which was for, actually, it was a Kodal, but it was an Yeshiva of sort of Hasidic children that have, had unfortunately left um, the path. And our role was, again, to learn with them each day for half an hour. And that just gave me a bit of a, a window into... Um, how we could harness, as you're saying, learning in Torah, but in a different, in a completely different environment. Yeah, interesting. Did you always know that you wanted to work with teens specifically as your specialty? 
No, and I still don't officially always tell people that I do. They're a very hard client group. Yes, in terms of professionally, definitely. I think pro professionally, if we're looking at it in terms of and financially, they're not the, a good client group because the turnover rate is usually quite high. It's obviously sometimes much more exhausting and draining dealing with the letter resistant teams. I saw you have a very interesting no-show policy for teenagers. They have to give you a couple hours notice or something. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, something like that. Because teenagers are going to be less predictable and less yeah. responsible. And they're going to miss and forget. Or not, especially if you're in the world of addiction, there's relapses and then they give up. And then, so they're definitely an unpredictable client group. Yeah. But the most rewarding because you know that a teenager is almost at the in the sort of the, at the crossroads of life and to me that is like awesome you've got a person that with the right like we've experienced ourselves we went to the right yeshiva but maybe had we not let's say we would have just decided to go to a different place didn't enjoy it would have left the whole um, trajectory of life it changes just based on a few different so to me a teenager's if you get it right and we can give them the right intervention, it's unbelievable because suddenly the pathways to a happy and successful life are open. And the flip side always scares me because the wrong people at the wrong time, the wrong places, the wrong triggers experiences. And it's the other, the other side of success and happiness. Gotcha. Very well said. So I, I want to just double click on the, the difficulties of working with teens. And I know maybe some of your clients might find this and obviously they know you're a nice person and we're not bashing them, but just every client population brings its challenge. I, I heard some of it. They're unpredictable. They're teenagers. It's not, sometimes they don't show up. I, I would say in my experience also, I would add dealing with their parents could be a problem too. Yeah. Sure. All know that's, that's a large part of it. But what are some of the challenges in, in working with that client population that you're, that you have to navigate? We have to navigate with the fact that me being a CBT, a cognitive behavioral therapist, so traditionally, we we like to give teenagers, we like to give every client homework. We like that we like them to go away. We like them to actually act on the sessions. So it's not just that having a nice chat, but actually putting into practice some of the things. That's how we want them to reach goals. We want them to come back the next week, having made some progress. With teenagers, that's already going to be for me. It's a it's that's quite hard because which teenagers want to start working and towards many teens don't in fact they're adverse to, to work and they don't want to see, they don't want therapy to be seen as something too heavy and intense so it's a really it's about trying to have that blend of making therapy a bit fun because i know that if i want to work with teens successfully they have to look forward to the sessions they have to enjoy it they can't, yeah. if, as soon as they see it as, oh, no, not Yakov again, forget it. It's over. At some point, they're just going to find excuses and quit. So I need to make them feel excited to come. But at the same time, I can't just do that because I need to be able to demonstrate to them and to the parents that we are making progress. And that is quite a hard balance. So what are some of the top issues that are coming across your desk or to your office, I should say? Okay, so there'll be a lot of the teenagers struggling with anxiety, OCD, obsessional compulsive disorder, panic, moving to depression and low self-esteem. And then there'll be those that are struggling with maybe, um, you know, eat eating issues and addiction. 
to gotcha. along that sphere. But I, I think probably um, a lot of the teams that I'll be seeing at the moment will be struggling with some sort of anxiety and stress type disorders. Yeah, I mean, considering that about one in four people in the world have some clinically significant uh, indication of anxiety, that makes a lot of sense. And teenage years are certainly anxiety prone. Are you working with uh, male and female teens or do you have a specific niche? I tend to work more with male teens. That makes sense. That makes sense. They could, they could probably relate to you as well. And maybe there's a certain element of more friendliness as well, especially in, in the firm community. It's yes, yes. It, it, it is easier and, and probably makes more sense professionally as well. And also, I think it's nice for when someone comes for therapy, they might only be having a certain amount of sessions. I always like them to know that in the future, I'm always there. So I always feel for girls, who knows, they could be married already. If they have a female therapist, it's much easier for them to revert yep. to them rather than a male therapist. Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially in our community, just knowing the demographics. Amazing. Yeah. So, so you started this program, this text message. Yeah, text uh, line, yeah. <laughs> text line called J-Teen. What does that stand yeah. for? J-Teen, Jewish Teen. Okay, and where is that located? I. So that is based, we have volunteers and counsellors and therapists who are spread all around the UK. We have some in Europe as well. And that was just because I always felt, and this is probably a bit different in the UK than it is in America, because I think in America, people are much more open and there's less stigma about mental health, but definitely where we are and definitely in the former community, it's very, it's still very hard for a teenager who is struggling to actually find their, their way into a therapist's office. Interesting. So just zoom out for a second. If somebody is located in Europe or UK, they could access JTeen. We'll put that in, in there. But it's not an intern it's not for an international audience, meaning someone in, in the US wouldn't wouldn't necessarily No, no, but we did have a Pesach Krohn who spoke to us during COVID and we did a, a big event and he was when he heard all about it and how it all works, he was like, America has to have he wasn't aware that there, there were similar types of services, and he said it must be spread in America as well. It's it's not a not it's not an earth shattering idea. It's a pretty simple idea, but for some reason, no one had actually ever thought of it. There are non Jewish services in in England and the and in America that do this, but there hadn't there wasn't anything in Europe and the UK. Okay, so if anybody's listening and wants to bring this to America, get in touch with Yaakov and I, and we'll be happy to help you. Because I definitely think that it's a beautiful thing. So could you just describe what's the what's the mission and what's the process? What do you do and what and how does a teen access it? So underpinning it all is ultimately, and anyone who's involved in mental health knows that most of the issues that we're going to see will initially start out with something a bit less intense. There might be some teenage struggles, um, difficulties, early onset mental health. And then if those are not identified and dealt with, then that grows and grows until you have um, a proper mental health disorder and you have crisis. And yeah. if, and all I'm doing is just saying, if that's the premise of how issues develop, let's see if we can almost meet, nip it in the bud, as they say in England. I don't know, I don't know if you have the same. Yes. Most Americans understand that term. <laughs> Good. Okay. You translate your term. You have perfect English. Um, nip it in the bud. So if we can have a, a situation where teens 
um, feel comfortable because they know it's anonymous and they know that uh, we're not going to ask them for their name and they can reach out and get some help when something's at its onset and someone's just maybe restricted themselves a couple of days or um, on the, in terms of food or where they've started avoiding going to social events. If we can deal with that at that point and give them the right help, then you have now potentially saved this teen from a, a life of difficulty. Amazing and beautiful. So you have a 15-year-old boy who starts socially isolating himself. He texts a few friends like, hey, I really need to talk to someone. And they refer him to, to this to, to J-teen. What does that look like next? I have to tell you, even from, even that story in the UK won't happen because a, a teen is unlikely to then to text a friend to say, I'm struggling. He will, he will put on, you, you've heard this, of the British stiff upper lip. So he will put on a nice smile. He'll pretend everything's fine. And he won't tell anyone he's got any problem. And no one will ever know. Interesting. So how does he get to you guys? And what we do is we will go, we advertise, we, we go into schools, we do some workshops, we do some meet, we'll do some lighthearted events, we'll give out some merchandise, we'll give everyone some pens and rulers, and they'll have the JT number on. And the kids know, and they've started trusting the fact that they know that JT is there. We only, we don't even, we market ourselves in a very friendly, almost fun, being light touch type thing. And teens know that we're there. And we're there for the low-grade things, but we're also there for the crisis. And some teens will, will also will message in their self-harming or they're feeling suicidal. And we have a team ready for that as well. Amazing. Beautiful. And so basically, you are taking it from the preventative measure. Let's wait. Let, let's try to take care of it before it becomes uh, a snowball, which is totally what we experience here as well, where things start off as small problems and then just build and build because of the lack of help. And then the teen reaches out. Is it a text line? Is it a phone number? So there's a text, there's a phone, there's a phone um, number as well. Most teens prefer the text. We also do it in a way as well because it's much easier to supervise because we can actually monitor um, everything properly. The, the teens text in, we can't see the number, that we don't ask them for anything and we'll just ask them for their gender and their age and they will start engaging with one of our counsellors. And the counsellors have names or is it just anonymous on their end? No, no one's got any names. We will have file notes based on their individual ID identification number. So we'll I be see. able to we'll be able to know if any teen we're concerned about. And we have therapists as well who are there ready to step in if it becomes something more than a regular volunteer counselor can cope with. And um, but the vast majority, as we've seen, as we see in the non-Jewish helplines as well, the vast majority are actually low-level, what I could, what I like to call struggles. If they're just given support then that's really all they need. Amazing. Beautiful. Do you have any stats on how many people you impact per year or anything you want to share? It might be confidential. I don't know. No, so far we have, we've engaged with over 4,000 teenagers and that's spread across schools, workshops. And then there'll also be those that, that message into the phone line and the help line. But it, it's only, in the UK, it, this is a tip of the iceberg because we've still got to do a lot more to get, to, to make people feel comfortable to reach out. Amazing, beautiful. Uh, that is so great. And if anybody hears about this, I know there are a lot of mental health organizations and referral organizations in the US mental health field. Um, and I think this is something that would be amazing. And if somebody, again, is hearing this and wants to collaborate with uh, Jakob and I'm happy to help as well. With, with some of my trauma background and crisis management background. Um, and Yaakov, obviously you have a lot of technological parts and that's amazing. Beautiful that you, that you have that. 
I want to talk about your book that's coming out. I know you sent me some of it to look over, Mastering Your Mind, 10 Life Hacks for Teen Happiness and Success. What prompted you to write that book? Kind of all the same type of thing, I think, that prompted me to start Jetting. It was, again, this feeling that if we can have a resource for teens to deal with the classic issues that come up in everyday life, and they can have a bit of guidance and understanding and techniques to deal with it, then, again, we avoid the snowball. Yeah, that makes sense. And how did it come together? Obviously, 10 Life Hacks is a very engaging thing that if I was a teen, that would get my attention. I think, hey, I, I want a life hack. I want to work smarter and, and less hard, which is what a life hack is all about. Yeah, I have to tell you, I call them life hacks. Ultimately, each one is going to take a bit of effort, and I try to do it. I try to break it down to make it as easy as possible. But in the, I, I think in the non-Jewish world, there's a lot more stuff out there for teenagers in terms of self-help. But in the Jewish world, we are more limited. Uh, we, yeah. we have a lot of books about chizuk and emunah and that type of thing, which for many teens will be very good. Yeah. But equally, um, I felt that I think teenagers just need some sort of basic guidance on dealing with the big topics like friendships, like stress, like balance in their day-to-day life. And I hope that with the book, it's a difficult book to write because it's it took me many years to try and get the right tone. It mustn't be too psychological, but equally can't be too basic. Yeah. I hope the Seattle de Shmaya that I've hit the middle, the balanced way. From what I saw in it and the feedback I shared with you, it, it felt like I felt the love and energy that you put into it. And I felt like it, it had the potential to really reach people. So I hope that'll I hope that'll actually make its impact. I want yeah, to- you're, you're a bit biased, Yosef, you're a bit biased. <laughs> I am biased, Yaakov. Anybody <laughs> that calls me about you, I, I only have the most amazing things to say. But I want to ask you, one of the things we talked about in this, in our many weeks of preparation before we were actually able to get it, get on together, which we, we should do this more often. I want to ask you, we talked about, I can't be bothered that attitude, which in America I call low motivation. It's so frustrating to work with teenagers who just say, I don't care. You're failing your math class. I don't care. You're beating up your sister. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. How, how do you deal? I know in, in, in Israeli society, the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. we have it everywhere. How do you deal with the low motivation and the negative attitude? We really do have it everywhere. Just today, I got an email from a parent and it, I can literally, it's got to a stage where I can predict, I can read the opening line of the email and then predict exactly what the rest of the email is going to be about. It's going to be about a concerned parent that says that my child, we're not talking about a child that's steeped in their mental health issues and, and needs a psychiatrist or, or, or medication. We're talking about a child who's just unmotivated, doing nothing and just wasting, almost like wasting their, their years away. Yeah. And look, to me, within the 10 life hacks, it's probably the one that teens will least want to read. And I acknowledge that. And I make a point of it at the beginning. I think it's one of the most important because it's endemic of this, of the generation that we live in, where we all like to to have shortcuts. We all like to get, make money quickly. We all like to reach to the top of the ladder without any work and it's almost considered as a it's an accolade if you've managed to achieve something with minimal work it's wow look at you how clever you are but what we've ended up 
And we could discuss it and probably will bore people why we have. But ultimately, it's not a Jewish thing. This is across the Western world. We are living in a society which is of opulence, of luxury, of comfort. And therefore, we churn out, unfortunately, young kids that um, are also born into this world and, and find it very difficult to then say, I'm ready to work. And and we all want to spoil our children. And you know, you know what I tell parents, and I wonder what your thought is. I always say, spoil them with love, not with things. Yeah, I love it. I like that. I like that. You know, because it's so easy to, Baruch Hashem, we're, we're, post, we're a post-Holocaust generation where people save their money and people really, you know, developed ways to make money and be successful. And, and we, we've never had so much opulence of, I was just in Lakewood last week and the Batimid Rushim there are booming and the restaurants and the, you, know, you have just, you know, tens of thousands of Jews who are living and have beautiful homes, beautiful stores and, and everything. But does that make happier children? hundred uh, percent. And you, the, 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 there's a famous miser with the Klausenberger Rebbe. After the Holocaust, we, uh, many will have read his unbelievable stories of survival and how he, his mysterious nefesh. Um, but they, he, he came to America once, <clears throat> not sure when, maybe around the 70s, 80s, that time. And they took him around to the different yeshivas and the, the schools and they showed him, look how wonderful it is, look how vibrant all the boys have all got there to fill in. The, and the learning in Torah has never been so easy. And he was sad. He said, actually, this isn't, this is not impressing me. It's too, it's become too easy. He, his, everything about him was he had to fight for everything, for all his learning and everything that he was came from really fighting and overcoming adversities. And for us, we just, we do live in a world and, and adults as well. We're all in the same boat. We, in England, in, in the 19, 19- 40s, 50s, a child had to go down the coal mines. And in America, in the sweatshops and <clears throat> the people that came to America and they had to, all the problems about Shabbos. And, and nowadays, our biggest problems are that we ordered something on Amazon, it was meant to come today. And instead, it was, and, and because of that, we become, we, we do become a little bit less, a bit more fragile, a bit less resilient. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the kids, when they do find inevitably that there are going to be challenges. And this is this applies to many of the issues that we see in those that just get married, in the 20, 30-year-olds that, that struggle. And it's because the challenges come, but they haven't got the grit to overcome. And they were never given those skills to, to develop that. Amazing. I want to ask you about, you were just in Eretz Yisrael for Ahmad's Sefer Torah, and obviously our hearts and minds are there. I, I don't know if you had, I know you were in for a very short amount of time, but just... What was it like to be there for that amount of time? I know you were there for our Rebbe's yard site and Ahmad's Sefer Torah in his honor. It, 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 it was slightly surreal because I was only in Yerushalayim and apart from in the airport or various different places seeing signs up for the about the hostages, the rest of the time, people, Israelis are amazing. Unfortunately, they've had to deal with so much of the of terrorism and difficulty. They, they, get, they get going almost. And it almost Everyone was getting going, just carrying on. And, and you know, that's the greatest, perhaps that's the greatest response to our enemies is that they can do what they want, but uh, we, we will persevere and we will carry on. And that's what they are doing. They are carrying on. Amazing. Amazing. I want to ask you, not that you need to be working on anything else, but is there anything else coming down the pipe just that you want to share with us? I know you're <laughs> working with clients and you're doing this J-team, which is amazing. And you're 
getting the finishing touches on the book. Are there any other interesting projects that Yaakov Bar is focusing on right now? We have to make sure that my wife doesn't get this podcast because she won't be very happy to have new projects. The What I would like to do, which we have already started doing, is using the book, hopefully, as a blueprint for a curriculum to be used in the schools. What I'd love to do in the schools and yeshivas Instead of, I don't know what, what they have in America, but in, in, in England, we are we have rules by the government that we have to teach some mental health. So what, what we have is we have experts coming in to do to tick the box and to do their token lectures about mental health, which right. doesn't really have any, any success. What I would like to try and do is I would like to empower the teachers and rebbers themselves to create a well-being curriculum that they themselves can teach kids about friendships, teach kids about jealousy, about anger. There's no reason why you need to bring outside experts in if it can be done within the classroom. That's Amazing. The Amazing. I, I want to actually double click on not telling your wife about this podcast. So as a mental health professional, <laughs> I know we do struggle with that work and family life. But, um, and and it's, it's even more important, A, because if we're not in a healthy mindset, we're not helping people. And B, because we understand mental health and we understand the importance of family. Do you have any tips for having that proper balance of teens could be a never ending shoot of just more and more needs? How do you balance the work and family life? And especially when you're in a field where you're helping other from people and you, you feel their pain and you want to be there for them. It is very hard. I can't say I've always been successful. I remember one of one of my children about a year ago, because setting up JT was a, a massive undertaking, which I hadn't really been aware of. So I had a nice idea about how we're going to set up a helpline, <clears throat> but I hadn't been aware of all the policies and the, and even the fundraising on the whole infrastructure, what's required. And obviously, once you're in it, you're in it. Uh, I think that Hashem especially makes a certain hest upon him <laughs> that you don't realize what is in involved because if you did you wouldn't start off in the first place. You never place. would have done it in the first place. So, so I was full in and it was stressful because I had to work in the more in the daytime in the evening would often be supervising and then dealing with problems. And one of my kids said to me one night, he said, since you've set up J Team, you've not been the same. Or you haven't been such or you haven't been such a nice dad or something like that. And that did hit me very hard because I'm thinking I'm doing all this to help people, but I'm not really, I'm not helping my, I'm not helping my family. And that's one of the reasons why we delayed doing the podcast was because my voice has gone. So I've been overdoing it on myself. I think it's a big challenge. We love to help other people, but at the same time, we need to also sometimes button down hatches, as they say. Yes. Do you say that as well, Yosef? No, that's the British one. Oh, is that a British one? Yes. It's from, do you know what it's from? It's from the Second World War when they had blackouts and to, to stop the, the, the Germans um, being able to see the where the British cities were, everybody had to have blackouts on their windows so, so there would be no light coming from the windows. So they would say you have to button down the hatches. So anyway, but yeah, we basically, I think it's a constant balance. It's something that I... I'm more aware of and try very hard to make sure that there is always that one's looking after oneself. Because if, if you want to help people, I think we've both seen it, people that are more experienced than us who have been in the field for longer, whether it's educators or therapists, anyone in the helping profession, that if you don't do if you don't look after yourself, you do become you become burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. And I think it's great that your son was able to articulate what he needed from you that he felt like you weren't necessarily present. And I'm a very big fan of one-on-one -on -one time with our kids. 
whether it's once a week or once a month. There's a Torah Simcha guy. I'm not going to say his name publicly. It doesn't matter. But I was just with him and we had lunch together a few days ago. And he said to me, I take my children once a quarter. I take them on a trip for a day or two somewhere privately. And they really look forward to it. And it's beautiful. I think that's amazing. You don't always have to go fancy and take them to Florida. Even if you just eat out or go somewhere, take them to your office for an hour or two and just talk to them. It really makes a big difference. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would even say, yeah, even less fancy than that. I think if they just come home, because I know everyone, we, we like to always, we'll go on a date with your child. And I know plenty of parents that do once they all have a turn. I think sometimes even more basic, like the child comes home and he's had a test and you know that he's had a test. How did the test go? And that shows that you're remembering that the child yeah. did have a test in the first place. You're, you're interested. And, and I think that sort of, it's that type of thing that really builds connection, not always the headline acts. Amazing. I want to, I have two more questions for you. And my second one's a very interesting request that I've never done before, but we'll see what you have to say about that. But let me go to my first one. So in, in this podcast, I try to focus on, on trauma. And now a lot of things you said all apply to that, but I just want to hone in on that one point because it's a theme. How much trauma are you seeing in teens as far as what they're going through and how that's impacting their lives, just from your clinical view? It's really interesting that because I think there's different kinds of trauma. So the types of, but what I've noticed, especially on, this is a bit on JTN as well, is that when we have traumatic events happening, for example, October the 7th, and the impact that had around the world. And in the UK, there were many kids that were traumatized by what was going on in Israel, but also by the impact of the anti-Semitism that they felt. Yeah. Um, and as therapists, we all geared up we're now going to have an influx in traumatized children. And the first week we did see, a, we definitely saw, first maybe one or two weeks, we did see a, a much more of an influx in kids reaching out, saying that they were scared. We also unfortunately had in the community at the same sort of time, the suicide of quite a well-known educator in Manchester. Yeah, I heard about that. Very traumatic. And very traumatic. And again, I know from the school that they were inundated with experts and therapists saying we that we, we're here and we're going to help but actually what what we probably don't realize is that many teens are adapt and learn to just cope and just move on and definitely in the in terms of it's quite interesting because i think here's an example where perhaps experts often um, don't give enough credit to um, the resilience of teens, and we we rush in thinking that they need loads. Have you? I don't know if you've seen that on your side oh, as well. Totally, I so appreciate what you're saying because you're the one that's literally on the ground with them. And you're right; we don't give our, we don't give our children and our teens enough credit for being resilient. Thousand percent. It's like I'm I'm waiting as a professional because by the book they should be struggling and they should be all in fear and and staying in their house or from the master thing they should, but actually they're not. So. As much as we like to think that they all need some urgent mental health intervention, many of them, and this probably goes back to what well, you're much more of an expert on trauma than I am, but I think if there's enough sort of positive in their life to fall back on, whether it's the home, whether it's the school, whether it's their own personality, then when a traumatic event occurs, they have the wherewithal to overcome it. And, and that's what we see, I think. Absolutely. I work with adults all the time and they always tell me if I would have had you when I was a teenager, when I was going through this, I, I wouldn't be here right now. And I wouldn't have had these 10, 20, 30 years of suffering. 
So yeah, a thousand yeah. percent. There's there's plenty of trauma to help out with whether anxiety that's induced by trauma or whether it's biological or psychological, whatever it is. Or, but at the end of the day, we do need to give credit to the teens for being resilient, and also the fact they're reaching out and and getting preventative help could prevent a, a life of tragedy and a life of suffering. So it's amazing. You ready for my last request? Yeah, I'm ready, Yosef. I don't know, but you've built it up now. So I'm a bit scared. <laughs> so when we used to go to Rav Asher uh, Rubenstein's house, he used to ask us if we have a vart or a niggin. So you said a vart from the Closer Murga Rebbe, <laughs> and we, we shared a few things. But I'm thinking of our niggin, Lo Rav Alechem. You want to sing something? Is your voice oh okay? Oh, my gosh. Yosef. <clears throat> no pressure. <laughs> no. Okay, that's fine. It reminds me of, you have to remember that as much as I love my American friends and as much as for for me going to an American yeshiva was fantastic because it's a great breath of fresh air. In English, yeah. I would never sing in the base of Medrash. It just exactly. So you've got me to do certain things, but I'm still an English guy. I do remember once dating a girl, an American girl, and we were in the lobby of quite a, uh, a big hotel in Israel. And she heard that I like singing and she said to me, Oh, would you sing for me? And that was like for me, for an English, for an English boy, that is horrifying. To be honest, Joseph, you're giving me the same vibes. Okay, no problem. You're Baruch Hashem, you're a married man with children, but you're still in English. We can learn a lot from the the sneeze level and the refinement that English people bring. And when you were in the yeshiva, there was a definitely a big contingency of Americans. So no worries. We'll do it offline. It's fine. I plan on no, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry to disappoint you. So. No, it's okay, Yaakov. It's okay. I can deal with rejection. <laughs> no, I understand. Thank you for pointing that out. It's so interesting because I always quote, Ramashri used to always say when people were dating English women or vice versa, Amer British guys, he would say, he would quote Winston Churchill that America and England are two countries divided by a common language. And there's so many nuances and differences. And I think that's so important that you're bringing that out because when you're working with the teens in England, although a lot of what you said applies to Americans, I think Americans are a little bit more open, even in the from community with calling a suicide hotline or reaching out or, or telling their therapist they're having a bad day. But just knowing what your clientele are comfortable with is, is so important. So I appreciate that. And this was literally a, a breath of fresh air for me to be able to sit with you and talk with you. And it, it, it's, it's just so amazing to catch up. Thank you very much. Me, vice versa. And uh, I think it's it, I think it's fantastic what you're doing because ultimately we know that we're seeing such a rise in the amount of mental health problems, but we're not we, we, we mustn't be discouraged because as much as there is an increase, there's also so much good going on. It's these types of things that are just the type of things that we need to be doing. And I hope that you have a lot of hasaka with with the podcast and all the fantastic things you are doing. You know, you've always been a big role model of mine, you say. Thank you. Very kind. You should only look forward to seeing more of your books. Now you're making me feel uncomfortable, Iago. <laughs> okay, we're even. <laughs> Last, lastly, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, I know jbarr.co.uk is your website. How do they get in touch with JTN if they're in the UK or Europe? Uh, so I can put that. We have a phone number. We also have the... I can, what I can do is I can send you the phone number and also the, our website for JT. Amazing, perfect. And when that book comes out, aside, you'll send me a copy, hopefully. Don't worry, I'll pay for shipping, Glean Editor. And I'll pay for the book too, okay? I want your second copy. I know the first one probably good. 
I, I have to tell you, I love Americans so much. And I know that it's a much, much easier to sell a book in America because of everyone's much more positive outlook to to these types of uh, materials. And therefore, I didn't I made the brave decision that the English in the book is all according to an American audience. So there will be uh, um, English people that won't be able to understand how I could say garbage instead of rubbish and all the other things that I've put in there. But yeah, we're very excited. Okay, we'll put all those links in the show notes. And Richard, when the book comes out, if somebody's listening to this later, hopefully we'll have a link to that as well from, I think, Israel Bookshop. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Yaakov. It's so nice to talk with you. Thank you very much. Yes, I look forward to speaking to you very soon. Good here. Have a good one. See you. Thanks for listening to the Jewish Trauma Network. For additional resources, free and premium courses, leave questions or suggestions, or to support our mission, please visit jewishtrauma.com. And always remember, your life can and will be better.